welcome. Today we have Iskra Lawrence here. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Good morning to the cold. <laughs> For once. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's a real honor to have you here for so many reasons. Um, but at the top of the business list, you have Salt Air, which is your clean beauty line. Mm-hmm. And you have self-funding, which is a journal where you can make it all happen, get in touch with your finances, set mm-hmm. goals, which is really incredible. Mm-hmm. I think you're going to start doing classes. And mm-hmm. yeah, so thanks for putting all this out there for us, as well as the conversations you have around eating and food and our relationship Mm -hmm. with that and our body. And so it's just, yeah, very much an Mm -hmm. honor to have you here, especially as a mom with four girls. Wow. (laughs) That's a superhero right there. (laughs) And two boys, and two boys. But yeah, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to hear your stories. Same. I'm excited to open up with you today. Yeah. So um, your mom, mm-hmm. your your child is here hanging out with my <laughs> child. And uh, how how does it work? How are you working with a child and what what's your day-to-day? Well, the day-to-day, I think I've always been drawn to a non-scheduled day-to-day. And obviously having mm-hmm. a child, you have to create some kind of schedule or consistency for them, right? You know, they love that comfort of kind of consistency. So I feel like my life now looks like my husband taking the early morning shift. My mm. husband wakes up at about 4.30 wow. and I'm just out cold. And he will wake us up at five. Then he takes him to the park and they, they train. We call it getting the worm. So they do early morning champion training from six till 7.30 to they run laps. Every time I like they play basketball, they do yoga and then he takes wow. him to school. Let's keep in mind he's what, three, four? He's three and he? a half. Three and a half. This okay. all happened because he was not napping at school. Oh. And they kind of threatened us with having to pick him up at 12, which would not work for my work or my husband's mm. work. So my husband said, okay, I'm taking it upon myself. I'm waking him up an hour, like two hours earlier than he was waking up. I'm taking him out and I'm getting to, you know, run off this energy, get the zoomies out. And they love it. They have bonded. It's the most, they obviously were bonded anyway, but they are so close now because they have this special ritual every morning, getting up together, going out in the pitch of night, looking at the stars together. It's really special. Oh my God. (laughs) Seven days a week. I was going to say the same thing. Is this a weekend thing too? Even weekends. Oh my God. Does he ever go back to bed? Your husband? Uh, Sometimes he'll take a nap. He usually takes a nap on the weekends. And then basically I kind of wake up about eight (laughs) and I start, you know, straight away working. But then by three, that's it. You know, I put my phone down, I go and pick him up and me and him do something fun every single day. Even if it's just, again, going back to the park or seeing friends or walking around the neighborhood. Like, and I love to be completely present with him from three till eight. And I cook dinner and then when 8 p.m. comes and he's in bed, then I start doing the extra bit of work that I might need to catch up on. And, you know, lately I've been staying up pretty late, maybe to like 2 a.m. Oh, to finish (laughs) things off. But usually I would try and aim for like 10 p.m. Yeah. But yeah, Mm -hmm. Philip, my husband, now in bed by 8.39. So that's the only thing we're working through this new schedule and how we Mm. fit alone time with us. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was just wondering. Yeah. Do you have alone time with you guys? We try. It's, yeah. It's very yeah. short. We're trying to get his bedtime closer to seven. So we have like mm. seven till 8.30 together. Mm. But yeah, on yeah. the weekends, obviously, when the little one's napping, then we'll try and take time together too. But I really need to get on the, the morning schedule. It's just a struggle. I'm, I don't feel like I'm a morning person, mm. but I know you can probably retrain to become more of a morning person. I'm working well, you're to doing retrain. it to your son, so. Right? I know. I'm wow. literally training myself to be become a morning person right now. That's been the most difficult thing about mm-hmm. motherhood is the kids wake up early. Yeah. And it's and just, you're immediately on. Yes. So I yeah. have a thing with me and the kids. Okay. Like when you wake up, have your eyes greet the sun. Like, and, and, and I have been waking up before the sun. So like when the sun starts to rise, I get outside and just let my eyes meet the sunlight. Mm, That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Must be really healthy. But also this is a season. You don't have to be a morning person right now. It sounds like your child is covered in every beautiful way and getting so Mm. much 
care and love and attention and affection mm-hmm. and they're having their bonding moments. So if you wake up earlier, what's going to happen? They're gone. Yeah. It's true. I think I just trying to get on the the routine with Philip. I would yeah. love to work out with him. We did pretty well when I was pregnant, actually, and the beginning of postpartum. Yeah. Where we'd work out together and we motivate each other. Mm-hmm. And so I do I do miss that kind of connection there because yeah. it is. It's like dedicating your time to being a partnership. Is, is that when he does the workout, when he has your son? He does the workout from like 4.30 till 5.30. Okay. Yeah. That's, oh, that's so early. Wow. So early. I was going to say, what, where does, where, where is the time when you stop being a morning person? Meaning like, mm. what is it? Eight o'clock means you're not a morning person. Is it? We can so, ask the audience. I'm curious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Morning. I feel like you're a morning person. You have to wake up before seven. Mm-hmm. Mm. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, I just wondered what the cutoff was. Yeah. Your that's, opinion. That, that's my opinion. Seven. Cutoff. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Because eight o'clock feels to me like I'm late. Like when I wake up at mm. eight, I feel like I'm getting up late. Yeah. And there were for years where I would get up at five and get to oh, the wow. gym <clears throat> and then work out from six to seven back and then be at, you know, be at work at eight. But it was, yeah. Was if kids are up ago. at morning or yeah. if kids are at public school, starting school while you're mm-hmm. in bed, you're not a morning person. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Well, my cat, you know, Roman wakes us up for food. So at 5 a.m. this morning, <laughs> smacking my face, oh my God. like get up, get up. And I went, okay, I get up. It's so dark. And it was about maybe 5.15 and I saw the sun rising. Yeah. It was so beautiful, but I went back to bed. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, no, nope, I don't need to be up this uh-huh, early. Yeah. I love what you but, said yeah. about it being a season though. And yes. <laughs> so me learning, because again, we've definitely talked about homeschooling and, and other scenarios, but we found this beautiful Waldorf school mm-hmm. and the grounds are just are kind of magical. You know, yeah. I think that's what I love about being in Austin. There is so much beauty and so much time in nature that I think is lost in so many cities. And so we found this school. It felt just, yeah, I went there. I almost like shed a tear. It was just so mm. special. And the teachers were all ha- really happy. Yeah. Everyone seemed happy. Um, and so finding that school, I was like, we need to make this work. He needs to nap. However, he'll <laughs> he'll be, as soon as he moves up to kinder, he won't need to nap at school. Yeah. So then it'll be figured out and there'll be less of this, like, we need to get him up get that energy out. So we know it's a season. We know until May of 2024, (laughs) we're doing this. Yes. Yes. We'll see what happens. Yeah. And what what a beautiful experience. And Mm -hmm. also we were talking about the fact that you're an only child. Yeah. And you have Mm -hmm. currently one child. Currently. (laughs) Well, we were talking about the, the benefits. Can you share what your dad wrote? Oh my goodness. Yeah. So my dad had written me a card. I want to say it was my 21st birthday. It was definitely a special birthday. And he wrote this apology letter and he said, I know one day we won't be here and you won't have anyone to reminisce about those memories of us. And I was just a mess. And, you know, reading that back, I, I obviously, I, I personally want more children. Um, and so, yeah, de- definitely gave me a little bit of a kick up the butt of like, I, I don't want, you know, my son to feel like that either. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to talk about the other side of that because mm. I have six children <laughs> <laughs> and it's a blast and we're never going to have a dull holiday and there will be plenty of reminiscing. Yes. But I think about all the one-on-one conversations mm. that my kids are wanting to have that they're not having. Interesting. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, mm. they're having a blast. They love having their siblings. There's never a dull moment or a dull day, but it, there is like so many times where I'm like, I just want to know every single thing that happened about your day. Yeah. <laughs> and but Jeremiah mm. wants me a hundred percent of the time, of and Gwen wants me a hundred percent of the time. And so when all you know, yeah. so I'm just. Uh, I think it's so beautiful that at this time in this season, mm-hmm. your child is getting mm-hmm. such beautiful, dedicated yes. time. Yeah. It definitely feels like it's this very tight group of three. Like yeah. we're just best friends and. You know, he absolutely wants another baby. He asked daddy to go buy another baby, you know, recently. And (laughs) we've been having many, many conversations about understanding, you know, how, yeah, how a baby is created. And sometimes those are challenging conversations, but I want him to know that it takes patience and love and, you know, he very much would like a baby sister and I explained it doesn't really work like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but obviously, yeah, I, I'm not on birth control and we're hoping that it will happen soon. But, mm. you know, it doesn't always happen immediately. 
Yeah. Yeah. God's path. God, yeah. Yes. God knows. Yeah. Now you've had um, a career in modeling. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about your story there and when you started? Yes. Yeah, so I started when I was 12 and a half. Mm. Wow. Uh, yes. I took some photos with my mom and I submitted them to L Girl Search for Supermodel. I'd always loved fashion. I'd watched mm. America's Next Top Model, all these shows. And coming from the town that I came from, which I'll always be proud of where I came from, but it's the type of town where there, you know, my dad's one of 10. There, there wasn't, there wasn't a cinema, there wasn't a movie theater. There wasn't uh, much opportunity there. I say movie theater, it's so random, but it just felt like that was something I always compared like, oh, there's nothing here. I can't even go to the movies. Mm, yeah. So um, I felt like that I was very ambitious and I was ready to kind of like go out and spread my wings and modeling seemed like a possibility. It seemed like something that I could do because I was five foot nine. I was constantly being told that I, you know, looked like a model. And at that time I was a a national swimmer and I was super slender and yeah, I I entered this competition and I got into the finals, but I didn't win, but I got scouted by Sarah Dukaus who scouted Kate Moss and I got put on an amazing model agency on their models to watch. Cause when you're 13, I was 13 at this point, you're too young to actually work but they can start doing test shoots. They can start trialing you with like runways. And it by the age of like 14, 15, when I hit puberty, my hips kind of expanded and I became, you know, my bus got fuller. <clears throat> and all of a sudden it very much changed from them being excited and thinking like, oh, she could be the next, you know, top model to, uh, you know, you're a little bit too commercial, a bit too mature looking and you're, 14 and so I was dropped yeah I was dropped and they kept measuring my hips that was one thing I'll just never forget they measure my hips every like every visit to that agency and they one day were just like your hips are 37 inches they need to be 35 that's the max they could be they could be 34 but they could they can't be more than 35 that's two inches and I was so slender I was you know a young girl and they would have had to shave my hip bones off. Like there was just no physical way my body shape would have ever, you know, stuck to those rigid measurements. <laughs> but of course, when you're that age and you get told this is what you need, the size you need to be, you're going to try and do whatever it takes. And that's what led me to having an eating disorder Oh, because wow. I didn't know how to do that in a healthy way. And it never would have been healthy for my body shape. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there was, you know, very little, very little education for someone that young about how to look after yourself and how to interpret all the mixed messages we're receiving. I remember that time where it was like Atkins was at its height. Beyonce had the maple syrup diet where it was like, Oh, the oh master cleanse. All the, the master lemon, cleanse. The, the lemon, cayenne pepper. The lemon, cayenne pepper, yeah. You know, and I had a girlfriend at school. She was doing the Snickers <clears throat> diet, which was what? one Snickers a day. That's oh. all you eat. Oh, my God. And so it was just this, like, toxic environment wow. of young girls being told, like, you need to be as slim as possible. That's what make you happy and successful. And then mine was taken to the next level because I had these gatekeepers and I'd gotten in the door, but then they closed the door and said, unless you get to that size... You'll never be let back in. So, and I'm a Virgo, I'm competitive, I'm a perfectionist. And so I worked as hard as I could and just constantly felt like I was missing the mark and failing because I was never Mm. thin enough. And that was really detrimental to how I viewed myself. I had body dysmorphia because at that time I was a US four, you know, no more than a four, like a tiny still. And I would look in the mirror and just think I was disgustingly huge and pull back my flesh and wish that I could just change everything. Wow. And uh, I spent, gosh, a lot of my mm. teen years feeling like that, but then faking it with this confidence of I still got attention from boys. So I kind of leaned into that as like mm. a place of value um, and you know, dyed my hair, got my nails done, wore heels, was kind of overtly like pretending like I was the sexy, confident, like high schooler. Mm. But in the inside, I was like, I'm never going to be enough. Yeah. And so when I heard about plus size modeling, I was about 18 and I was doing a college fashion show. And one thing I am proud of myself for, I was never embarrassed about all the crappy jobs I had to do. I still felt like I was doing modeling. So even if I was handing out flyers at an event or I was modeling at like, um, like a, 
a showroom or a fitting thing. Like it was still work to me in closer to what I wanted to do. And yeah, I went and saw this plus size agency and they were like, you're far too small to be a plus size model. I was like, are you kidding me? I've just spent all those years starving myself to fit in that ideal. And now you're telling me I'd have to gain weight purposefully to fit what you want. And I said, I'm, <clears throat> I'm, there's no, nothing wrong with me. I realized I am not the problem. You are the problem. Mm-hmm. My body is not wrong. That is wrong. Was that the turning point Absolutely. for you? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that been? frustration and that anger and that yeah. breaking point of like, I, I've tried so hard. I, give, I gave, gave you everything. I've been miserable mm-hmm. all this time. And now you still, and it was really that moment of like, I have to stop changing myself and I have to change this. Um, and that was where that that shift happened of tr- moving that energy where it was looking inward and thinking like, how do I change myself and my body? And wait, isn't there something that I can change there? So it, that was about me going to clients directly and pitching that if there's no models anywhere that are like in the middle, and I didn't really know that it would be called mid-size modeling at this point, but I look like your customer. I am your customer. I know that I'm going to represent people that you're trying to sell to. So I would call people and I'd undercut the agents and I'd get booked directly. Wow. And, you know, at the end of the day, people forget what a model's goal is and it is to sell whatever you're wearing or promoting. And I think that, you know, a lot of clients found out that, yeah, they did actually sell more swimsuits on my body type than the slimmer body type because more people related to it. And so yeah. I would get rebooked and rebooked it was only small clients, but what I was able to do is go back to the agency and present them and say, Hey, I have this amount of direct clients. I'll give you 20% if you just sign me. Wow. 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 And I love my hustle. How old were you? At that point I was about 20. Wow. That's incredible. You're an entrepreneur out of the gates. Yeah. I definitely have my first business in, I think, elementary school where I used to braid people's hair in in recess. It was a business? Yeah. I would charge them like 20 cents, 50 cents or 80, depending on their hair length. And then I'd keep all the money and then I'd buy chocolate with it. (laughs) Oh my God. That's awesome. That's amazing. Where, Where was I in college when I was doing people's hair and like drawing tattoos on them I didn't oh, charge a penny oh my god I literally oh. had like a line out the door yeah. wow like 12 people every party something else I learned you did tattoos oh with sharpies oh yeah. wow that's fun wow like like I I took Japanese for a long time so I did like Japanese oh. artwork oh. on their bodies wow. <laughs> Yeah, I had no day. idea. There you go. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> but apparently I should have been charging. Yeah. I also, I also, I haven't drank since I was about 21, which is ironic because obviously that's the drinking age in the US. If yeah. you know about mm-hmm. British culture, everyone starts drinking quite young. And so mm-hmm. I remember I started offering people to like chauffeur them around <laughs> to oh. like parties and, you know, nights out. And I would definitely charge people for that too. Actually, oh, I've wow. just forgotten another hustle I did. I would, I would put wine bottles into my like dresses or coats or outfits and then I'd sell them in nightclubs. <laughs> from market. I'd buy like cheap wine for, I don't know, like three bucks, five bucks. And then I'd sell it for like 30. <laughs> Oh my God. Wow. I just have a real hustle. I was like, I have to get out of this small town, whatever it takes. Oh my God. Now I'm really curious about your, your book. Yes. Okay. So let's let's go into the self-funding journal now because I, well, first of all, the name self-funding sounds like you're getting people straight. What's going on in that journal? (laughs) Right. So for me, you are your greatest investment. So when I think Mm. about self-funding, you are literally bringing in the energy, the time, the intention into yourself because you will never regret putting yourself first and, Mm. you know, making sure that you are really on the path and setting goals for yourself of what you want to do in life. So that was really, I was postpartum, it was the pandemic and I was completely lost. I'd moved from, you know, New York, LA to Austin, but I think it was three days after I moved, lockdown happened. So I was completely isolated, completely alone. I'd barely gotten to see the city. I only knew people that Philip had introduced me to. And that was very different from my life in New York and LA with the events and the friends and the, and so 
when I had my baby um, and he, he loved to cry. He was, he was definitely, he was colicky, had stomach issues. Again, I didn't get to go to the mom groups. I didn't get the at home lactation consultant. I just didn't, my parents didn't, weren't there for a year and a half. Like it was not what I envisioned it was going to look like when I started my family. And so I needed to, I needed an outlet and I needed a way to help become productive again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Help plan my, not just my life, but like putting the parts of myself back together and knowing that I'm not the old me anymore. I'm more than that. I've brought in extra. I'm a mom as well, Mm -hmm. but how does that fit into the puzzle piece of, of Iskra? And so this planner, I was like literally looking for planners and, and journals. And I was thinking, well, I want one that focuses on day to day. I want one that focuses on my mental health. I want one that focuses on fitness. I want one that focuses on social media. I want, and I thought, I don't want six planners. I was like, maybe if I design my own and essentially they're ring bound and that you have boosts, which are focuses or areas on your life that you want to intentionally invest in. And you add those into the planner. Yeah. Wow. That's genius. That for me was just like, okay, this, this is very personal now to me because I want to work on all these areas Mm -hmm. and I don't need six different tools to do that. So that's really where it came from. It just became so much fun. And so mm. creative and, and empowering in the sense that I could do this while I had my baby wrapped to my chest and I was sketching something out with speaking to factories. My mom was involved and it was really nice bonding that we did, even though she was in the UK and I was in the US. Yeah. So it was like a project we did together. Oh, nice. And we did our first event about a year after we launched when obviously the pandemic, everything started to open up. And we got these loads of women together. It was 30 of us and we did vision boarding there's a double spread vision board. And for me, whenever people ask me, where's the best place to start if you don't know what you want to do in life? Vision board. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. The way that we visually need to see where we're going, what our dreams are, what our goals are. It's so important. And people know this because we've been marketing visually for forever, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we know that when our brain sees something over and over again, we want it or we start working towards it. So why aren't we doing that with our goals? and what we yeah. want for our life. Mm-hmm. Otherwise we're consuming other people's images yeah. of what they want for yeah. our lives. It's yeah. true. So that's very much vision boarding was a, a really important step uh, for self-funding. And then we've done multiple events, small little intimate events with women in Austin since. We've done goal setting. And uh, for me, financial literacy is really a huge part of what self-funding means as well. We have a financial component to the planner, um, which helps people understand just their cash flow. Yeah. Mm. You know, how we're receiving and what we're, you know, what's leaving us every Mm. month and the importance of knowing that that is in your control. It's not something that's passively happening to you. And I think when we take back control of that, it again helps empower us. It helps us be more intentional about the way that we're using money and we're viewing money. And Mm -hmm. I did a whole kind of breakdown in the financial boost of like, how do you feel around money? Have you ever really intentionally sat down and thought, have you got trauma from maybe how you grew up and how that reflects in how you view money today or the money in relationships and finance? And me and Philip have had a pretty tough couple of years financially. We were big crypto investors. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't sell, you know, he didn't sell at the right time, bless him. And he's definitely held the guilt of that for our family because, you know, it was looking really exciting and really great. And then, you know, it didn't look so exciting and great. Um, and then for me, I bought a property that we've been renovating. And unfortunately, the contractor completely screwed us and took $300,000 from us. Ugh. So now we have wow. this property that's sat and it's dripping wet and just sat there looking so sad because we're rebuilding what we lost. And oh, wow. so it's just, it's very important for me to be open about that yes, because yeah. I think there's this illusion on social media where it just seems like everyone's on vacation all the time and buying new cute things. And the reality is it's like finances can be one of the toughest well, they're definitely the toughest conversations we've ever had, you yeah, know, in yeah. our relationship. Yeah. And no one really talks about it. Yeah. Thank you for life happens. <laughs> e- explaining that it's been tough since COVID because it really has been mm-hmm. tough since COVID. And so many people lost so much so with much. crypto, especially. Mm-hmm. I, I know friends that went from billionaires to borrowing money. Ooh. Oh, dang. Yes. 
I do. And people really, really lost a lot. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you start a lifestyle, right? And, and, Mm -hmm. and you have certain expenses and Mm -hmm. people think you have so much because whatever you have a big house, but then all of a sudden you can't even afford that big house, but you can't really Mm -hmm. afford to move. So it's just, you know, there are so many people and it's all relative Mm -hmm. of so many different income ranges that are, are going through a big struggle. But we're, we're, constantly taught to consume and consume and yes mm-hmm. capitalism is everywhere and it's so hard to detach yourself especially in this era of social media where mm-hmm. you're comparing yourself on every single level and even mm-hmm. these young girls who feel like they can't wear the same outfit twice yes mm-hmm. oh come on i <laughs> i will wear the same outfit like three podcasts in a row <laughs> I, I did a post this fall i bought one new dress great that was mm-hmm. my thing it's yeah. like one new dress. It's a beautiful dress. Mm. I have, I have a very small knot closet. I have like a Mm. rack (laughs) and I put all my clothes on that. And every year, if I want new clothes, I give to my friends, my dresses. Mm. And, but this year it was just like, just one dress. Yeah. I I, I feel, I do feel the guilt of being in the fashion space and I get sent clothes upon clothes upon Mm. clothes. And often I don't, I don't ask for them. They literally just show up on my doorstep. And, you know, part of my job is obviously promoting clothes. Yeah. And I, it's something intentional I do want to start doing, and especially moving into 2024, is almost starting every video or putting in every caption, you don't need this. You know, and mm, I don't yeah. know how brands will feel about that. <laughs> but it, it just, the over-consumerism is, is killing our planet. And it's, you know... It is. I don't know how we're going to plan for the future when everyone is so concerned about how they are yeah. projecting themselves right now. Yeah, that book that I read many years ago, mm. the, Your Money or Your Life. It, I don't know if you're aware of that book. I, I love yeah. that book. And yeah, and it's it really yeah. has you dive deeply into all the mm-hmm. money you've made. It has you calculate the money you've made, yep. what you have to show for that money. Yep. And then it has you basically take an assessment uh, mm-hmm. And one of the things that I didn't know I was going to access, but I've told the story where I've come home and my husband has all my shoes laid out <laughs> and like, I've got like 15 pairs of black shoes, mm-hmm. you know, you know, different sizes, boots, yeah. flip-flops, the whole tennis shoes, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Do you really need all these? And I'm like, well, this goes with this outfit. This goes with that. <laughs> and he's like, okay, do you really need it all? Need, and it's, and yeah. it's really the difference between what there's a they talk about a fulfillment curve like yeah. at christmas time when you get so many gifts and then pretty soon you hit that oh god i'm so full and then mm. it starts to decline the more gifts you open it just starts to feel icky mm-hmm. like right that now you've have too much so yeah. starting to notice the feeling i love that you brought up feelings mm-hmm. how you feel about the money how you feel about what you're receiving yeah and and it's true like randomly last week i had three different people in one day just give me stuff mm. and and it was it was interesting it was like wow this is interesting why this is just coming into my field and how i feel about it and but immediately i felt prompted like i need to give stuff away Right. Like I'm so desperate to get in my closet and just purge yeah. because I, I feel like, you know, like you with getting new clothes, right? Like giving, giving it to Goodwill or giving it to friends or, you know, Catholic charities, all these different places that take clothes and then give them to different people. Mm-hmm. I try to like spread it out to different um, organizations or just people that have worked for me in the past that would take them and take them home to family members or whatever. But it's, it is I think keeping that receiving and giving alive is what's important instead of turning into that hoarder Mm -hmm. or into that it's never enough feeling and what are you chasing? Mm -hmm. And that book, above any other book I've ever read, it's been around for, God, I don't know, 30 years, 25 years, does the best of taking you through that process of understanding how much is enough and what's a little extra. Your money or your life. Your money or your life. Yeah. Yeah, and it's the best book. So I'm... I'm curious about your, you know, self-funding um, manuscript because I would love to to grab that because it's such. I'll, I'll get you. It is really. <laughs> it's so important, especially money, because they don't really teach it in schools. No, that's no, all. We Where just was like that what class? the heck? No. Like I, it makes no sense. I didn't mm-hmm. know any. Like I still am not really clear 
on what a budget is for me and my family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I really just don't know. And also with James' career, it's like sometimes he makes boatloads and then yeah. we chill. Feast and famine, yeah. And, 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 and yeah. It's, yeah, so it, it's... With modeling, it's similar. And yeah. there's this yeah. misconception, I'm sure, that models have this wonderful, glamorous lifestyle. But the reality is I think it's like 0.1% of models make enough to actually have sustain a lifestyle yeah. um, and have an income that can yeah help them even just afford the rent yeah yeah um, and so same with modeling feast and famine so models can earn a lot of money and then they could not work for six months and it's very unstable so I you know I've watched um, and I think that's why it's always good to surround yourself with different people at different levels of success but I watched models who definitely couldn't afford to live a certain lifestyle, Mm -hmm. but were faking it and then end up with nothing. And models that did have more and invested it in a very sensible way and and kind of watched both and then figured out where I want to be. And I remember, um, this is probably really bad for someone as a model, but I remember my agency telling me, you need a boss bitch bag, um, a designer expensive bag. And I thought, I can't afford a designer expensive bag. I need to pay my rent. I just got to New York. I spent $15,000, which was basically all the money that I'd saved up to come here mm. on um, rent. Like I had to pay ahead because I had yeah. no credit score because obviously when you're you know, an immigrant in a new country, you don't have any credit. And so I bought a fake bag and I was just like, I'm not going to put myself in a position of debt Mm. just because you think. So there was like decisions I made that were probably very frowned upon, but constantly just checking in. And like, even if you are pressured by other people, even if you have friends that want to go to a super expensive hotel. Recently I went to a bachelorette and everyone stayed in the one hotel in Miami. And I looked at the rates and I was like, I am not spending over a thousand dollars a night for this room. I'm going to stay at the hotel across the street and that's okay because yeah. I'm also trying to save up to take my son to Disneyland or I'm yeah. trying to, you know, it, I reinvest all my money right now into yeah. my brands and building those and like thinking of the long-term legacy of that and what that will look like. So I think what we're saying about the life over money, it's like we are making everyday yeah. small decisions yeah. and depending on the relative, you know, income that you have, those are going to be detrimental or could literally be what leads you to success because even a small bit of saving every day or every month can lead to something much more secure in the long run. Yeah. That's, you know, in that book, that's so true because it would have you write down the first month, it would have you write down all of your expenses, everything. Yes. You walk into everything. a gas station, buy a soda for $3, mm-hmm. you write it down, right? Yeah. And at the end of the month, you see where all your money went. It's like, mm-hmm. What? How, right, and so then you start to recognize yeah. where where you're overspending, where there's no fulfillment, mm-hmm. and yeah. then you're able to cut it back. Mm. And then we were able to save on re, a ridiculous amount of money when we did this program. In the first six months, we saved fifty thousand mm. dollars, and where the previous six months we had not saved anything, and nothing had changed in our life. Yeah, but we just cut down stupid stuff and yeah. things that we were thinking aware, you just know, it's we're, not an awareness exactly mm-hmm. it makes such I a difference I did have um, one of the girls who bought the self-funding planner with the financial boost message me and say I saved $2,000 in a month and it was just like that's such a wonderful feeling because I do also just feel like you're taking back ownership yes you know mm-hmm. We're living in a world where it feels like we kind of sometimes we don't own much, right? Yeah. We don't own our bodies because we're dictated what we should look like by body trends and by mm. visual images and how we're constantly sold things to improve the way we are and the way we look. We don't own our house because the bank does. You know, we don't own our job because it can get taken away like the drop of a hat. And it's like our health. We, it feels like we don't even have ownership of that because the food that we're currently, you know, advertised and supplied with Mm. is killing us all. It's like, it's so intense. And it's like, well, that's what I was going to bring up is the food, because when we're getting into money Mm. and and you say we're self-funding, right? Yeah. I believe Mm. that spending the money, if it's possible, if you're in Mm -hmm. a mode of survival, it's not always possible. Yeah. Yeah. But if you're able to invest in good food, food mm-hmm. for your health that ultimately yeah. saves you so much money because our yep. healthcare industry yep. is mm. bananas <clears throat> what people mm-hmm. are spending on that and and just for everybody out there that's like actually really 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 struggling to make ends meet and feels like a fast food restaurant is the only way to pay mm-hmm. i would say 
walk into a grocery store, buy, buy yourself a bag of organic potatoes mm-hmm. or, or cut them up, you know, look up how to grow potatoes, you know, mm-hmm. get a potato bag. They're so inexpensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if they're not with all the butter and the fry and all that, they're, they're actually a really healing food, mm-hmm. you know? And Anything that grows, you know, from the ground, mm-hmm. you know, is to nourish us. Yes. And agreed, that's definitely something we've been trying to grow a little bit more at home. But we're also, it's confusing when we talk about food because, again, everyone's trying to sell us a diet or trying to sell us a solution. Yeah. But food isn't a solution. Food is our medicine. And when we simplify it and we think about this grew from the ground, that's going to nourish me. Like it's almost like we want to because we've been told it's easier to follow this, this strict diet that someone's told us about that's going to change our life. Mm. But it simplify it. Try and quieten all that noise and just go for the obvious of like clearly these things were, were grown. Where did they grow from? And one thing I do miss a lot is in England where I'm from, we have a lot of farms. And you can mm. just rock up to a farm and go pick your own vegetables and fruits. Yeah. And But, you know, we can grow blackberry bushes very easily um we can grow things at home it takes a little bit of time and care but it really is worth it in the long run yeah somebody asked me a couple years ago what's one thing you'd tell everybody to Mm. do this year and I said well if I had to tell everybody one suggestion I would say grow a fruit tree because in six seven years you now understand very intimately what it takes to grow something yeah. into mm. manifestation you will have an abundance to share with everybody yeah. it'll feed you for however many years and mm-hmm. it's just sure. like just one fruit tree yeah do three if you want or have mm-hmm. you and all your friends get different ones or get a bigger size if you can and that's already growing fruit yeah yeah totally I love that Yeah, there's this guy, Ron Finley, he on the masterclass, he has um, like you can learn his gardening, but he grew in the streets, like in in, uh, the streets of L.A. Like with hydrophonics or whatever. No, he would just put food in the middle of the um, the path. He would just grow food outside people's houses and along freeways and everywhere he could. And just so people would get intimate with it and start mm. eating it and feeling it. And they mm. called it, he called himself the gangster gardener for a while. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, that's he's awesome. amazing. Yeah. But I I've love actually that seen put- some houses like that in LA. Mm. Really? Where, yeah, where the front yard is the garden and mm. they have a fence around it and they have all the different Beautiful. vegetables. Yeah. And then there's a little sign that says, please don't eat out of my garden. Oh, yeah. No, you this know? was like an everybody. Yeah, no, this was, like, no, this was just eat. like there's mm. one house on a neighborhood street. Mm. And yeah, well, you know, there's a lot of homeless. So God bless them. Yeah. <laughs> well, they need to eat. There's they no reason why the park shouldn't have fruit trees everywhere. Yeah. Well, right. Mm. Like you know? that's the obvious. For real. Mm-hmm. Put it in the park. Mm-hmm. Seriously. Yeah. But thank you. All right, (laughs) self-funding journal check. (laughs) What other areas do you have in there for people to explore within themselves? So one of my favorites is actually I made a pregnancy boost. And I made it because I bought the journals where it was for my baby from like the first Mm. 12 months. And then I thought, and it literally, like I said, I was postpartum, so it already had my baby. And I was just in this darkness and I was like, I miss the joy that I was feeling when I was pregnant. I wish I'd written down like Mm. the special moments. Mm. And so that's when I sat there and I thought, oh yeah, I remember when I got the first flutter, what did that feel like? So then I made that like as a prompt so that people could, you know, remember Mm -hmm. that. And then it was all sorts like visually planning out your nursery, like draw your dream nursery and like, let's play with names. And so I just designed again, everything that I wish I'd have had to have put it in something special to keep. Um, And so that, uh, that's probably one of my favorite. Yeah. One of my favorite boosts because pregnancy is magical. And Mm -hmm. we're in it. And I feel like it's so unfortunate that social media constantly feels like people are complaining about it all the time. And some people Mm -hmm. do have it really, really tough and it's challenging, but it's also just such a fleeting little blip of time before you get to, you know, have the birth and have the baby. And I want women to know they are absolute superhero goddesses. Like when you're growing a baby inside of you, like, I mean, I definitely, that's the, the pinnacle of my life when I felt the most beautiful, the most empowered, the most confident, and just the most in love with myself was when I was pregnant. Me, Absolutely. Wow. Me well, too. Yeah. That's kind of unusual because most women don't feel that way. I never, I felt love for the baby, but I also felt 
There were times, but I would say overall, I couldn't say that. Overall, I couldn't say that I felt like my most beautiful Mm. because while I had um, just like uncomfortability being in my body, right? So when you're uncomfortable being in your body and then it's growing, it's like, it's, I didn't know how to be with that. Mm -hmm. You know, so, There's so many changes. Yeah, and it could so many, be that feeling of lack of control. Yeah. You know, and things that maybe were a comfort before, things mm-hmm. that we used to wear or the way we used to move and we're not able to, that can be scary. Yeah. Know? Yeah. I feel like I was definitely super happy pregnant, although yeah. I had some tough pregnancies. Mm, yeah. So, they were all you know, I, I guess see. just deciphering between the two, they're all so different. Mm. But yeah, I, I I think it's really important too if we bring consciousness into pregnancy, mm-hmm. like we bring prompting, yeah. then it allows that space to self-reflect what? and realize that we're having a moment. A moment, mm-hmm. yeah. And I think it's also noted that the times have changed. Yeah. I mean, my oldest is 32 years old, right? Yeah. And the youngest yeah. was 25. So a lot of the conversation has changed from 25 years ago around, you know, even if you go back further, mm-hmm. I don't know how many people know this, but 60 years ago in the school system that my mother-in-law worked in, if you were pregnant, once they found out you were pregnant, you could no longer work. Wow. You could no longer mm-hmm. teach. If you were pregnant, you were not allowed to be a school teacher. Hmm. What? That was in the hmm. district that she worked in. I don't know if this is unique to her situation or just it was part of the dynamic back in the 50s mm-hmm. um you know that if somebody oh my god she had sex she's pregnant get out of here she can't be around the kids oh it was like that it was like oh. that it was like and so whether it was like that or that was her story yeah but it was like all this shame so mm-hmm. she hid she actually hid her pregnancy until she was six months and then people saw that she was pregnant so she had to stop working yeah but isn't that fascinating that back then you there was all this shame attached to mm-hmm. being pregnant for a lot of people yeah and of course, then that's transferred. Everything's transferred to the baby. Right. So yeah. a lot of, um, you know, awareness around what you go through and what helps, you know, create you as an individual is so passed on from mother to child. And yeah, yeah it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, part of our humanity. Yeah. It really is. And each generation just has a new thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's just how it is. They all yeah. up level, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> Did you guys have any eclipse revelations? Because I had a hmm. deep one around birth and death. Really? Yeah, we just had that. Yeah. I think yeah, it was the eclipse. most beautiful full moon I've ever seen yeah, it was incredible. in my life. Mm-hmm. And the way the clouds came by. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, did you journal? You know what? We Where were we? Me and Philip were at home and we just had this moment where we walked outside and like held each other. And it yeah. was, yeah, it was super present. And, and mm. definitely felt that awareness of like everyone's feeling this, kind of feeling more connected to the world at that point because yeah. I've been very disconnected and yeah. wanting to kind of protect and keep away. So that's how I felt. So me and Philip just went outside and just kind of mm. stood with it and took it all in and breathed through it. But I didn't journal at that point. But I want to hear your revelations. Mm. <laughs> well, I had a moment where I sat outside with my husband as well, mm-hmm. and we just watched the moon yes. and the clouds, and it was just so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And Jupiter was so bright. Mm-hmm. Um, so the eclipse, I actually lost a friend, um, a 10-year-old boy named Mana. And nice. he's been in quite the fight for his life for a year. So it was like mm-hmm. bittersweet mm-hmm. of... I'm so glad you're at peace now and like just the grieving that we have. Yeah. But I was watching the moon and I was real like I felt like the moon was communicating with me that how we teach or how we honor the birth and the mm. death portals is really how we're honoring life in between and how sacred that is. Yeah. You know, mm. so we, we, pregnancy brings us to a certain point, but like, how are we honoring women in that mm. transition and families in that transition, whether you're at the hospital, home or whatever, how are we honoring this body yeah. that is right. doing this thing? And then as bodies are on their way out, how, how are we honoring them and their, and their families, mm-hmm. you know, whether they're in a hospital or they're at home or there's some tragic accident, like how are we honoring humanity in those two areas? 
And I was just sitting with that really deeply and looking at how we honor life in between and the way that the different cultures does it. And it's like both can be, you know, even in, in their tragic sense and filter, be the most beautiful things that happen no, no, no matter what mm-hmm. is the result. You know right. what I mean? But the way that, that it brings you to presence and honoring. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And staying yeah. connected with that all through the, the middle part, right? The, the living part. I think yeah. we have to do a better job of reconnecting with ourselves as we go through the different seasons and have those impacts of people leaving or, or entering. Yeah. And I think as mothers, you know, we, it, it's, it's tough. Yeah. It's tough yeah. to stay connected and feel like yourself when a new life comes into your world or someone exits and yeah. we feel things so deeply and we have to sit with that and we have to go there and, and get deep and then be able to also come back to ourselves. Yeah. yeah. It really is an awakening when yeah. you go through that, those portals like yes. that. It's it's what they call the dark night of the soul when mm-hmm. somebody dies close to you and then yeah. you have this shattering that happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it's like time stops yeah. and everything, you become present and you have access to it all. Yeah. And just them being able to honor that and be present to it and continue to do that. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's really beautiful. Cause what it's done for me is it brings you even deeper into presence, right? Mm-hmm. On that, yeah. on that in between. It brings yeah. you deeper into presence, which is a deeper honoring, which is like a, you know, you just look each other in the eyes more. You feel the hands, yeah. you feel the feet of your ch- mm-hmm. children. Like you just yeah. savor differently. Yeah. And it's just such an odd thing to say can be a deep, beautiful gift. Mm-hmm. Well, ultimately, I think that's how we're supposed to look at it, right? Yeah. As a gift. And because life is a gift, death is yeah. a gift. It's the the cycles of life. It's all a gift. And I think that's one way I make peace with it is to see it as a gift. Yeah. Um, you know, because some of the suffering ends with death. Yeah. And so that's why I think um, holding it like that is a way to be relieved for the person who's left. You know, my dad died of osteoporosis. It was one of the most painful things to witness, his mm-hmm. pain, his back he had nine broken bones in his back over the course of three years mm. and multiple, multiple surgeries and just could never be comfortable in his body. Mm. And and to witness the, the amount of pain that somebody, you know, that he had to go through. And um, and just really like he had the most peaceful passing mm. and like the real gratitude of that he didn't have to suffer anymore, right? So there's a gift in that. So being able to, to see that doesn't take our pain away, but it does uh, create an awakening inside of ourselves for both both positions, to be able yeah. to hold both identities or both connections. Yeah. 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 So 2024 yeah. is upon us. Yes. Yes. Are you goal setters? Are you looking <laughs> forward to it? Do you, you know, sit down at the end of the year or the beginning of the year and kind of like plan with yourself, your family? Is that like it's a practice you have? So... Every year in LA, we tended to host a vision boarding party and it was like, (laughs) I called it the party before the party. So before you go to your party, (laughs) come to our house, bring magazines if you have and Mm -hmm. do a vision board um, and bunch of Sharpies and we could write down the goals. Um, I haven't done it since I've been here in Texas and actually it's making me feel quite disconnected. Let's do it. Yes. I think, (laughs) I think it's the thing to do. It's really Mm -hmm. important. And it just, it asks you some questions. How do you, how do you envision? And even if it's not an actual vision board, which I love an actual vision board, but you could even just meditate, right. And see what comes through. Well, that's what we did. We had a a meditation group and we just had everybody meditate. And then we said, okay, say one word, what you'd like your year to look like. Love it. Yep. And I didn't think I was the first one to go. And what fell out of my mouth was luxury. Oh, I've yeah. had, wow. I, I, yeah. I was shocked and my husband went, of course, you know, but, <laughs> but for me, it was, it, I was surprised at the, uh, like the ease at which I've had in an incredible luxurious year that didn't really cost me a lot of money. I had a 10 day cruise that I went on. That was something we had won that was on a VIP ship, like all these like things came to be 
that didn't really cost me a lot, but were really luxurious things mm. or times or time for me when that, when luxury fell out of my mouth at the time, I equated it to time. Mm-hmm. Like for me to have the luxury of time yeah. was more than more important to me than anything. Time with myself, time with my partner, time with my kids, all that sort of thing. So you can create it however you need to create it, but sometimes just being able to like meditate and let it formulate itself. Yeah. I always yeah. said from the higher perspective or whatever, like what is going to serve me this year? What does my focus need to be? What's going to bring me fulfillment and joy and happiness? And kind of start with the questions first. G- gets you like a little higher space than mm-hmm. just the ego of like, I want this and I want that, just all the material things. Yeah. So I think tapping into that higher perspective and asking questions to bring it forward Absolutely. is a way that works for myself. Yeah. 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 And the thing is with vision boarding, I think one of the best parts is the accountability of community or the support of community. Mm, yeah. I think often we have these goals that we're ashamed to maybe talk about or we think are ridiculous or unrealistic, but there's absolutely no reason why you cannot achieve those goals or put forth that this is something you like in life. And the more we kind of like unashamedly tell our community, tell the people we love, it really Mm -hmm. is this powerful manifestation because obviously our words are literally, you know, energy. They create. They create. Um, And then impacting other people around you and letting them know this is what I want. I'm speaking, I'm in my truth right now. And I hope that you'll come on this journey with me. And then, you know, you're not alone in that. I feel really stuck. I feel like I'm not going anywhere in life. Well, you haven't invited anyone to help you on that path either. Mm -hmm. So I think that, you know, those moments, if it's a vision boarding party or if you don't feel comfortable calling it that, just invite your community, your friends, your family, your loved ones at some point at the end of this year before the next year begins and just sit down and, you know, really have those intentional conversations Mm -hmm. and bring them in, share with them what your hopes and dreams and ambitions and goals are. Well, you're invited. I'm going to do this on the barn, <laughs> on the barn floor Love and just it. invite oh, a bunch of people yes. over yeah, yeah, and do it. Yeah, Because why not? Exactly. Right. Why you not? You know, I remember one year when I had on the board, I want to live in LA and New York. And <laughs> my husband got a job in New York and we ended up wow. having to travel back and forth. Yeah. I was like, wait a minute. Yes. I was on the board. Yeah. <laughs> I would say like, it feels like 99% of what I've put on my vision boards in the past have always come into manifestation. They Same. really, yeah. and I vividly remember I was so, so career focused. Everything was career, career, career. And in 20, the big, so end of 2017 going into 2018, my vision board, completely different. Mm. Ah. Couple holding hands, family, love, all these other things. And even my friends were like, whoa, that's a little bit different from <laughs> what it's been. And that's the year I met Philip. Like Aww. it really, there was a, I, I sh- there was a total shift. Yep. There was a total, like, I feel really good. And everyone was still pressuring me in my career. And I'm sure, you know, in, in the, those worlds, yeah. what's next, what's next? Okay, you got on this cover or you did this. Da, da, da. I was like, I'm really good right here. I need to invest in mm. my love, my, my friendship, my family. I want to meet someone like... And I had that total shift and, uh, you know, moved my energy to that and had that vision board. And, it, you know, I, I met him that year. Yeah, It worked. Yeah. <laughs> it really did. That's incredible That's manifestation. Mm-hmm. I like to put experiences on there. Yes. You know, with mm-hmm. the family. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's it's just so powerful. And, and to even I want to, for anybody listening, I'd say like even take a moment after with your vision board, if you do it and just feel what it feels like mm-hmm. when all those mm-hmm. things happen, like Joe Dispenza mm-hmm. it, you know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> totally. yeah. Feel the feelings. Yeah. Feel the feelings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we have a fun little segment on this show oh. um, mm-hmm. where we ask Peggy's intuitive channel a question. We call it ask Peggy. Mm-hmm. Is there any question you would like to ask mm-hmm. Peggy? I would like to ask Peggy. I I really know I want a second child right now, mm. but I feel like Philip is going to go ahead with it because he wants what I want. Mm. But does he, is this the time for him, mm. you know, to bring a second child into our world? Because what I don't want him to do is kind of pretend that yeah. he's okay with it mm. and yeah. then feel overwhelmed and feel like it wasn't yeah. his decision and that I pushed it. Yeah. Mm. Um, so 
It, uh, what's coming up is just, it feels like a lot of anxiety because the attention that it gives to the one child, right? Mm-hmm. And then how to, how to make it all work. Mm-hmm. And then feeling farther away from you than he has in a long time. Mm. So I can feel the anxiety of like, is this going to create more distance between us? And then what about me? And what about the kid? Like how we, like I see him in his head about it, mm. about how to do, um, what to do. So it just feels like he needs to start to get comfortable and to start to kind of inquire himself within like the possibility. And the two of you get like, well, what if we did it like this? And what if we did it like that? And giving him space to acknowledge his own feelings and not rushing it. Yeah. And at the same time, there is, there is, you know, my belief that the babies always come in with everything they need yeah. for their resources, for their, you know, for their ability to thrive. And, um, and I think it's also okay, like for you to say to him, it's okay if you want to wait until the spring. Mm-hmm. It's okay if you want to wait until he's in first grade. Yeah. Like, just tell me what, you know, it's okay to, it's a, so give him permission to speak up and say what feels relieving for him. Like, I'd like us to wait, you know, six more months before we start to try or yeah. let, just let him, giving, giving permission on his end gives him room to kind of feel it both sides of it. And then I feel like he'll be able to come forward with, without any of the, the tension in his body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it just, he just feels he needs like the space to be able to breathe and create that. So when you back up and give him the space to say no, not now, but six months or a year, mm-hmm. and to put it out there, the relief will come where he might even come back and go, no, that's silly. Let's just do it now. Mm-hmm. But to let him go through that process on his own and to figure it out, can you feel all the energy around that? That's what's really important. Mm-hmm. He needs to be able to say, you need to be able to go to him and say, I'm okay if it's no. It's going to be hard for me. I need to grieve a little bit. But if it needs to be six months or a year, I'm open for that because I want us both to be on the same page. I went through this with my husband and it took, yeah, yeah. And it was probably, it was with our third child. And he just, for all, many of the same reasons, insecure. We have too much going on. Mm -hmm. We've got two healthy kids. We don't need any more pressure, tension, all that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff. But I kept pushing and and it really created a, a um a you know a problem in our relationship mm-hmm. to the point where i had to like completely let go or he was going to leave you know it was mm-hmm. like i pushed him too far right mm-hmm. and i was like whoa and so then i had to do all this grieving and come back to like accepting where he was at yeah. and as soon as we both got on that same page there was the baby showed up 3 weeks later like i was oh, pregnant wow. 3 weeks later it was like what because mm-hmm. it w- i was not listening Mm-hmm. I was not honoring his thoughts and feelings and I was pressuring, yes. right? So there's no baby is like, get your shit together before I come down there, you know? So <laughs> yeah. and if you knew my daughter, you would go, of course, she's not, she's <laughs> yeah. not coming into this mess. Mm-hmm. And so I had to go to the extreme to let him go through his feelings around it. And then when we came back together, it was perfect. And yeah, and then I found out I was pregnant three weeks later. Wow. So it was crazy. So I'm just saying that, giving him that space is mm-hmm. going to give him the freedom to come back and choose it with you at the right time. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's all you want, right? You know? You, yeah. Yeah. The pressuring. Every time I bring it up, I'm kind of like, well, because we, as women, <laughs> so we can feel that we can feel the, yeah. the baby there. Can we can, the you, you can feel yeah. the baby. You can feel that soul. Yeah. Even as I say that you can, you feel the soul wanting mm-hmm. to come in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's why there's this pressure yeah. And he doesn't have that, right? Mm. So it's getting to slow down and let him catch up with the same feeling. Yeah, it's not exactly the same, but I have a story well, about my dog. It won't be the same, but, <laughs> but the conception of it. Yeah. Yes, a story about my dog Theo is. Um, I, he, he was coming to me in my dreams wanting to be adopted. Last thing we needed was another dog. They already had and four. We already had four, and my husband was like. You know, we're sitting down and he goes, ah, it's too much. It's too much. We're not going to have another dog. And I'm, and so I said, he really wants this dog, you know, because mm. if you have a baby with your husband, you know that he also wants it. Yeah. Right? Yes. Yeah. Um, at some point. Mm-hmm. And I, and, and 
I was like, okay, he's going to resent me unless I completely let this go. Because whenever this dog is going to be difficult and with a child, a dog, doesn't matter. Mm. Whatever you add to your life, there's ups and downs. Yes. There's ups and downs no matter what. You're never fully 100% ready. And so um, I said, okay, it's clear to me. It's a no. It's a no. I'm letting it go. The dog is gone. We're not getting the dog. And and I was like, he's going to say something in three Two. <laughs> he goes, this is just not a good time to talk about it. I'm like, oh, he's not letting me say no. Mm. You know? So then I was like, okay, well then you let me know <laughs> when the answer is yes yeah. or Ooh, not. Wow. Yeah. And he, he was like, okay, fine. We're going to get it because Olivia needs it. I'm like, no, 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 no. You let me know when it's a yes for you. Mm. Yeah. You know? And so he claimed Theo. Wow. At some point, and we got Theo. But but what Peggy was saying is like, you know, just the ability to make that decision Mm. and have to maneuver in Mm -hmm. your body through all the things. Like, it's that sort of like... Give them time and space. Way of honoring you. Like, Mm -hmm. I want this thing. And honoring him. Yeah. Yeah. There's a little bit of a ball in your court. Mm -hmm. (laughs) okay I love that because two kids is a lot now you now they have different nap schedules and apparently maybe not a nap schedule (laughs) at some point and so you know it's just yeah it's honoring all the things yeah I really appreciate that (laughs) yeah you both yeah well thank you so much for coming on this was Mm -hmm. so beautiful yeah thanks for all the deep wisdom you shared with us practical wisdom thank you and everyone listening you are loved you are worthy Thank you for joining us. Mm, Beautiful.